0: Hello and welcome to Powerhouse Politics. I'm ABC News Chief White House Correspondent Jonathan Carl, and I'm ABC News Political Director and Rick. And we Byrne. have breaking news, Rick. We have <laughs> new theme music here on Powerhouse Politics, and I'm already hearing uh, from our executive producer Trevor Hastings that I came in a little too early uh, with this uh, with this new music. What <laughs> we'll do you think? You like? You'll get used to it, John. I mean, it took a long time for you to record that. I did. It did. I mean, you like my bass line. I mean, yeah, it's like. Uh, So, look, uh, we're we're coming here, of course, after the president gave his uh, very first uh, primetime Oval Office address. And uh, we also saw our very first uh, response from Chuck and Nancy, a Democratic response. And, Rick, I think the thing that's – and we want to deconstruct this a little bit. We want to talk about where we're going now, the president's trip to the border tomorrow. But I've got to say the one thing uh, about these primetime uh, speeches, everything has changed.
1: Yeah, I'm with you on that. I mean, uh,
0: we don't have a national emergency. Right.
1: Uh, That last I checked, there's no national emergency. But no, no. So that hasn't changed. But I think the fact of the speech was a signal about Trump's political emergency. Uh, This was it it shouldn't shouldn't a a primetime Oval Office address. I mean, we felt like we've seen them from the president before because you see Alec Baldwin do them all the time on SNL. But this was actually a first for this president. It's the most conventional of settings. It's like what it means to be president. My fellow Americans you are sitting there in front of the desk. Yet the president, this president, seemed Utterly out of his element to me, and and to me, him resorting resorting to that conventional setting was an acknowledgement that the usual ways that he has of reaching around those conventions just they're just not working. Okay, so in
0: other words, nothing has changed.
1: Yeah, I'm gonna go with nothing. I'm gonna go yeah. with nothing.
0: Yes. Um. Uh. It was striking that the president uh, spoke. He, he he kept the time. He did it all looked uh you know like you said extraordinarily uh, unextraordinary and conventional, um. But he didn't really say anything new, although there was a ... I, I did detect a piece of rhetoric that was slightly new. It didn't really strike me as particularly Trumpian, but listen to this. Some have suggested a barrier is immoral. Then why do wealthy politicians build walls, fences, and gates around their homes? They don't build walls because they hate the people on the outside but because they love the people on the inside. So, yeah. Um, I don't know. What, what, do you, what do you make of that?
1: So the wall is an act of love. You remember back in the campaign when Jeb Bush said that immigration, uh, that, that, that coming, coming to the United States is an act of love, and the president derided that, the mm. then candidate Trump. Yeah, no this idea. is kind of turning the whole argument on, on its head. I, look, I, I, th- so it's th- an act of love to keep... People to keep people out, out.
0: yeah. Look, I, I think this was a, a different. Who do tact. you think came up with that? By the way, do you think this was something that was this? Did Trump handwrite this line in his speech, or do you think this? You know, was there was there a pro- what, do you, what do you what's your sense on the process?
1: Um, that. That was written by someone that was coming up with fortune cookies. I'm pretty sure. Okay, uh, all that, right. that, that that that's the the level here. Now, they, look, we know Stephen Miller had fingerprints all over this, right? I don't know if that's a Millerism quite. Maybe that's an attempt to to sand some of the rougher edges out. It did seem like overall this was a sl- it was a different uh, a different tack. Not just the the fact of this speech, but. The emphasis on, on needing a wall out of humanitarian grounds, this wasn't about keeping the rapists and the criminals out, although there were some references to, to that as well. This was more about uh, what he termed a humanitarian crisis and, and trying to paint that picture, and that's how this kind of odd formulation about uh, politicians
0: and love came up. And it came after the president had, of course, tweeted about uh, his, his uh, <laughs> that, that Barack Obama had constructed a 10 foot wall around his home in Washington, D.C., which, of course, is not true. I mean, I, we, we've gone up there. We checked it out. We, we, we know that Ivanka Trump lives right there in the neighborhood and can practically look out her window and <laughs> see there is no wall. Um, but um, does that mean if Obama has not? Constructed a wall. Did, I mean, what, what, what's the implication?
1: I, I think the implication is just that the president is hoping that people make a common sense connection on this, and th- this whole appeal to common sense. You know, I, I thought ta- I thought an undercurrent of this entire speech was the president just wants. Why can't we all get along? Why can't we just come to the table? Can't we just make some common sense, reasonable arguments? And Democrats can acknowledge that we're going to we're going we're to get this done. And then the shutdown. It was, I think, to a lot of Democratic ears, rich because this president has made his political mark with with mockery and with misstatements, uh, often often falsehoods that are intentional. And to now at this moment, say to the Democrats, just be reasonable, you know, call your member of Congress, tell them to come and, and talk to us. I, I just don't think that really persuades a large swath of the public, but I could be wrong.
0: Yeah. And, and yet uh, the, the Democrats are being unreasonable in in this sense Uh, to to say that they are not going to give $1 uh, to uh, to the construction of new wall on the on the southern border uh, seems to me to be an odd you know position I understand the president obviously campaigned on having Mexico pay for it. I understand that they think it's uh, you know a, a waste and 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 by no means the effective most effective way to to secure the border Um, But, you know, politics is the art of compromise. And as the one thing that the president pointed out in his speech, which was absolutely correct and totally fact checkable and accurate, is that many of these uh, Democratic leaders, uh, including Chuck Schumer, uh, have supported uh, new construction of of new fencing, uh, whatever you want to call it, on The southern border. Now they did it in the context of comprehensive immigration reform. We understand it's not not entirely the same. But why this like moral position that uh, we can't we're not going to we're not going to move one inch on the wall? It, It does seem it does seem to be. A strange point of like, you know, we, we are going to draw the, the, the our line in the sand on this. Why? Why?
1: Well, I think it's a, that's a good question for our for our guest, the chairman of the of the Congressional Hispanic Caucus, in a, in a few moments. But I, I, clearly, uh, a lot of it has to do with the fact that Trump wants it. It was such a. Um, a vital part of uh, of the of the the campaign rhetoric the the wall that Mexico was going to pay for. it's come to symbolize a lot more than a, a wall. And uh, I think for Democrats who've just taken power a week ago and feel like they are winning this this shutdown fight uh, because they're seeing the president spin furiously around this and try to minimize the impact and minimize the human toll and and use tools that he hasn't Put at his disposal in the past, they recognize that they're on to a powerful, galvanizing issue. I think you saw that in the Schumer-Pelosi response, and they can say that not only is the wall no longer a wall, that and now that Mexico is not going to pay for it, Congress isn't going to pay for it either. And that, for a lot of Democrats, constitutes yes, a political victory.
0: So I, I sat down with the vice president before the uh, president's primetime address. And uh, interesting conversation, uh, but but I, I I started by challenging him on a number of the things the president has said during the course of this debate that have been really flatly untrue, uh, you know, misstatements, exaggerations, outright falsehoods. I, I listed a few of them. I thought it was an interesting exchange. Take a listen, Rick. How can his word be trusted on this when he has said so many things that are just not true about this crisis? He said that Barack Obama has a 10-foot wall built around his house here in Washington. You know that's not true. He said that some of his predecessors told, uh, told him that they wanted to build a wall, but all four living presidents have now put out statements saying that they never had any such conversation with the president. And then you saw uh, Sarah Sanders say that nearly 4,000 uh, terrorists come into the country every year and and you know that's not true either how how can the american people trust the president when he says this is a crisis when he says things over and over again that aren't true well look the american people aren't as concerned about the political debate as they are concerned about What's really happening at the border? And that's, that's the what question. the president credibility been focusing on. I mean, well, no, no, The White House said nearly 4,000 terrorists you know. coming to our country. John, that's not true. John, nearly 4,000 known or suspected terrorists were apprehended attempting to come into the United States through various means in the last well, year. Overwhelmingly at airports, not at the border. There you go. All right, we will be right back with our guest, prominent member of the Democratic leadership. When it comes to hiring, you don't have time to
1: waste. You need help getting to your shortlist of qualified candidates fast. That's why you need Indeed.com. Get started today at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast.
0: Welcome back to Powerhouse Politics. We are joined now by Congressman Joaquin Castro, chair of the Hispanic Caucus. Congressman Castro, are you with us? Yeah. Uh, welcome to Powerhouse. Me- well, thank you very much for being here. Welcome to Powerhouse Politics. You are, of course, the chair of the Hispanic uh, 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 Caucus in, in the House, and uh, somebody who had j- uh, just uh, saw firsthand what's going on the border. You, t- you took a-, a visit down there, so I want to I want to start with the question that we were we were just um, uh, 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 discussing, uh, uh, Rick and I, before you you joined us. Why is it that the Democrats have have taken this firm position that they will absolutely not give anything for the construction of new border wall. Why is that the, 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 the line, the, the moral line, and, and Nancy Pelosi has, has portrayed this as a moral issue, why, why not compromise with the president on that issue?
2: Well, if you think about it, since the nation's founding, the United States of America became the most powerful, prosperous nation without a wall. And not only does it send the wrong signal to the world, but it would also be devastating for the communities along the U.S.-Mexico border on the American side that would be host to that wall. Not only that, but in December, Mitch McConnell and the Republican Senate, in their version of a bill, passed over a billion dollars for border security that didn't include President Trump's wall. And they passed it unanimously. It wasn't until the president changed his mind and decided that he wanted $5 billion for a wall, that everything fell apart. And so Democrats, as you all know, we've passed the same identical bill that was passed in the Senate to reopen the government now, and what I think is going to happen is I think you're going to have, you're going to see, you already have four Republican senators who have said that we should basically go with what both chambers voted for uh, and put the president's wishes aside. I think you're going to see that number grow in the coming days.
0: But do you acknowledge the president kept on using the, the word crisis, uh, humanitarian and national security crisis? Would you acknowledge that we, at the very least, do have a, a humanitarian crisis at the border? Uh, the, yeah, the, uh, absolutely.
2: Uh, in fact, I said that in, in myself to the press the other day. I visited or led a CODEL down to Alamogordo, New Mexico, where an eight-year-old boy, Felipe Gomez Alonso, uh, died in Border Patrol custody. And we do have a humanitarian crisis at the border. But that's very different from the language and the political arguments that the president is using, uh, scare tactics, fear-mongering, scapegoating, to try to justify building a wall that, John, most Americans do not want, most Texans do not want. And from my district, even more people don't want it. Um, So we're talking about two different things. I I agree. I was glad the president called it a humanitarian crisis in his national address. That's true. I think we can all agree on that. But it's not millions of people coming over here to try to rape and kill uh, and hurt Americans. That is exactly the wrong kind of language to be using, and it's the language that has led, led us into the worst chapters of American history and the worst chapters in world history.
1: What do you mean by that? Uh, expand on that a little bit. Where, where do you think this could be headed with rhetoric like that? I mean, this president seemed he seemed to tone down some of that in the address on Tuesday night. Uh, there was less talk in this in this speech about murderers and rapists. But what's what's your concern about the way that he has framed this issue more broadly?
2: Well, if you look at from where where he started when he first came out to Trump Tower in 2015 for the kickoff of his, of his campaign and talked about Mexican immigrants as rapists. And criminals to even yesterday's speech, which I agree was softer in tone, but was still using anecdotes to suggest that that immigrants and migrants and many of these folks are asylum seekers who are voluntarily turning themselves in to Border Patrol, asking for asylum. When you take a group of, of millions of people and you hold against that group the w- very worst acts of a handful of individuals that are from that group, and you try to generalize and say that because those individuals committed such acts, everybody is like that, and therefore everybody else should be scared of that group, that, that kind of behavior, that kind of rhetoric, has only led to bad things over the years. It, it, it's led to racism, to xenophobia, to violence against members of those groups, and in this case, against brown-skinned people in the United States of America.
1: So the next step... From the, pre- and the president's push on this is going to be a visit to the border. Uh, we, we know from some reporting that he's not particularly excited about this trip. He feels like it's not really going to change things. He's acknowledging it seems that this is uh, really for show. What do you hope he sees on the border? And, and where, where can you see a visit like this adding to ultimately a resolution, not just of the, the government shutdown right now, but of the issues that you've identified regarding child separation, detentions and the like.
2: Well, I'm glad that the president is going down to the border to see for himself what's going on there. I think it's going to be clear to him when he goes there that there is no, there is a humanitarian crisis, but otherwise there's no crisis of chaos. There's no crisis of a bunch of people coming in to pillage people. Um, So I hope that he'll go there in earnest and take an honest look at what's going on. And I'll tell you what, even the Republicans, in those border towns even the conservative folks in those border towns will tell him that there's no crisis there at the border except for a humanitarian one
0: so what what on the security question uh you know the, the president has portrayed democrats as being in favor of open borders and uh not, not not at all interested in 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 border security but and 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 i know the democrats have and you know I, it's an exaggeration of the democratic position, obviously. Um, but right. but what but what do you think should be done um, as as people come to the border and cross illegally, not at border crossings, uh, um, cross the border, declare asylum? Um, what 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 should happen? Because the the the, the before we, we were the, the president changed this policy and we had this awful situation with child separation. And everything is essentially, you know people were, were were allowed to, to go with it a, with a, with a promise to come back for a hearing on their asylum claim and as you know many many did not come back to the, for their asylum claims so what what should yep. happen?
2: Well well I would say the overwhelming majority of folks that were released with a court date uh, we know from from studies that have due return for their court date now the fact that, that there is a long wait between the release and the court date is not the fault of people that are seeking asylum. It's the fault of Congress and the United States government that has not committed enough resources for immigration judges and for more courts. So that's not on those folks. I mean, if we wanted to, if this Congress wanted to, it could commit the resources to handle those cases fairly quickly. Unfortunately, rather than figuring that part out, we've gotten caught up on debating things like the wall. So what you need is a really comprehensive immigration reform. All of these pieces work together. You've got to deal with... with. The Dreamers with DACA, with their parents, some of whom have been here 20 and 30 years living in the United States without criminal records, supporting their families, being part of the community. Uh, You also have the issue of temporary protective status. Uh, And then you have the issue of asylum seekers, which is separate from all of those cases. So it all kind of gets lumped into this idea of immigration. But you really have people that are in distinct situations. And that's why it's tough to deal with all of this stuff. Piecemeal, because each of those things, even though they're unique, they kind of affect the others.
1: Can you talk a bit about this, uh, the, the state of the Democratic Party one week into the majority? I, I I'm struck by the, the it's been less than a week since you've been in the majority for the first time in your congressional career.
2: Yeah, that's right.
1: fifteen
2: uh, years. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So uh, it, it's been a little while, and um, seeing uh, Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer deliver that response, they're obviously speaking uh from a point of, of unity what has this debate done for the democrats in this initial phase uh, obviously you didn't expect to take over with a with a sh- with a shutdown yeah. government with a president demanding a border wall that you don't want to fund but what has this meant for for the party
2: well i mean look you know yeah I mean, w- this, for me, I spent 10 years in the state legislature in Texas in the deep minority, and then, and then six years in the deep minority in Congress. And so this is the first time that I'm in the majority party as a Democrat. And we would like to be able to focus on things that create opportunity for people in this country, for Americans, education, health care, economic prosperity. But the first thing that we're dealing with is a shutdown that is caused really by the president. Uh, and the fact that Mitch McConnell won't stand up to the president and override a veto. Uh, so it's it's not the way that we wanted to start this thing out, but I think yesterday uh, Chuck Schumer and Nancy Pelosi uh, you know laid out the case uh, as to reopening the government uh, and the fact that there's there was unanimous there was unanimous agreement in the Senate and overwhelming majority agreement in the House on opening up the government and still the president is getting in the way of that.
0: So um uh we we know you've got to run I've got I've got uh I've got two very quick ones to uh to to, to ask you. Uh first of all, just clear some right are, are you running for senate at any point are we we going to see we going to see a uh a a walking Castro for senate campaign?
2: No no plans for that right now. No, I'm <laughs> focused on the house Not, and you know I'm on the intelligence committee besides being chair of the Congressional Hispanic Caucus. We have a lot of work that's coming up um on the intelligence committee as y'all know. Uh, so, you know, very much focused on my work right now.
0: Uh, focused on your work, so that's not ruling it out. It's not ruling it out. Um, so, um, I also, I, you, you mentioned the response that we that we heard from uh, from uh, Chuck Schumer and Nancy Pelosi. It's obviously one of the hardest things in the world is to get the optics right um, for the uh, for for a a, a primetime response to a presidential address, whether it's a State of the Union or, or an Oval Office address. Do you th- how do you think they did I mean there's been a lot of uh there's been a lot of commentary about about how how it looked with the two of them at that one small yeah. podium uh what did you, do you, do you think there were uh do you think it went well not well yeah, uh, no, lessons I mean, learned for the future well.
2: yeah, I think they did well all things considered I mean you know remember the president they'd probably been planning this for a few weeks i mean you Democrats had one day to basically prepare. to to get your script together, get your remarks together, and then get on there and and do your thing. So, yeah, I I thought that that Nancy and Chuck Schumer uh, were able to get the message across. And, you know, it's almost, no matter on those things, especially on the responses, you remember Bobby Jindal and some of the other folks, no
0: matter how you
2: handle it, there's always something that people are going to end up critiquing, you know, but no, I think they did a fine job.
0: And the bottom line is there going to be no new wall? I mean, is is Trump going to be totally totally lost on this not 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 a foot of new wall on the southern border
2: well i mean i certainly hope that there's no wall that's built um no new wall that's built and yeah i think that we're going to see more and more republicans in the senate in particular there's already four of them i think you're going to see more of them in the next several days that will come forward and agree to reopen the government with with increased border security spending there's a difference between spending on a wall And spending on more border security I think they will agree to something with more border security spending
0: all right congressman Castro thank you very much for joining us on powerhouse politics
2: thank you guys take care Um, so uh, Rick I mean you know we're we're,
0: it looks like the Democrats are gonna hold in for uh, for for the president essentially to 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 cave and how does it end it reminds me, John,
1: of a uh, of uh, a fight that the Democrats engaged in against President George W. Bush right after he'd been reelected. Republicans were riding high at that moment; they didn't ha- and they had full control of Congress. Uh, and the president, as you recall, he started that second term with this big push around Social Security reform, privatization, partial privatization of Social Security. It never really had public support. It, it was it was never a, a particularly popular thing. Uh, Democrats used that to rebound their political prospects. And it was Harry Reid and Nancy Pelosi, uh, along with Chuck Schumer, who used that as a, as a galvanizing issue that um, I think, then along with the Iraq war, they, they wrote to the majority. It feels to me like Democrats are sensing that President Trump knows he's losing, and that President Trump kind of thinks he's losing as well. And that ultimately, he is going to have to decide. You do the explosive thing and declare this national emergency and try to do a border wall even with the skepticism in his own party. And there'll be a lot of Republican voices who say this isn't even legal. This isn't constitutional. Or... Do you do the other thing that's a really bad option for the president right now, which is to walk away and 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 fight for another day? He may like the fight more than he's ever wanted the wall, so maybe that's where it ends. He does
0: like a fight, and he's got Lindsey Graham saying, "If he loses on this, it's the end of the Trump presidency. If yeah, he gives in on this, I don't think it's done."
1: You know, Lindsey Graham said a lot about the Trump presidency. <laughs> you know, he's, he also said it be the end of the Republican Party if Trump won the nomination. So, yeah, there, you know, yeah. take that for what it's worth. Yeah. I think I, I think he that still may be right. He may be <laughs> no, right. I don't you know, know. Know. Check back in a few years. We'll have different theme music by then, John. But I think he, at this moment, uh, it, 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 does he just walk away from this fight? No, of course not. I don't. That's not. That's not what's in the president's blood on this. Um, I still think he will find something that he's able to say as a wall, or the portion of the wall, or or movement on the wall for the very risks that that he identifies on on the right. But it is fascinating to see this president, who's such a kind of master communicator, manipulator, what have you, or the, has this these. Vaunted political skills to move his base, uh, recognizing that it's just not working for him. And uh, I think this week has has demonstrated that, up to and including the trip that's coming
0: up tomorrow. All right. Well, on that note, Rick, that is all the time we have for Powerhouse Politics. We will be back next week with our new theme music. Thank you for listening. Thank you to Trevor Hastings, Avery Miller, Angie Yack, and the entire Powerhouse Politics team.